Today on the Bill Kelly Podcast, with Canada setting year-over-year records for immigration, we'll get an analysis of what this means for the country from the Research Chair in Migration and Integration at Toronto Metropolitan University, Anna Tranadilifu. There's lots of economic uncertainty for the coming year, so we'll ask a financial expert if there may be some opportunities. If you know somebody who's travelled by air recently, you've probably heard a horror story about their experience. What can be done to make it better? We'll ask John Gradick, who's a former Air Canada executive and coordinator of integrated aviation management at McGill University. I'm Shona Thompson, in for Bill, and the Bill Kelly podcast starts right now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. With immigration to Canada hitting record levels, the B.C. government is one that's been asking for some help. This is Canada welcome more than 430,000 newcomers last year. Global's Richard Zussman has more. It's the number one challenge for new immigrants, finding somewhere to live. Now B.C.'s housing minister, Ravi Kanlon, is proposing a new solution. I think the time has come for the federal government to actually tie immigration numbers to affordable housing targets and as well as new housing starts. B.C. has no control over how many immigrants come to the province or what skills they have. On top of that, British Columbia is attractive to temporary foreign visitors and migration from other provinces. Because we don't want people to come here and we're giving them opportunities and saying we need your skill sets and then find out when they get here that in fact they're sleeping seven, eight people to a one bedroom suite because they can't find places. And pressure is still building with the goal of 500,000 new permanent residents in this country in 2025. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Canada's plan, as Richard mentioned, is to increase the numbers this year, next and going forward. Anna Trianda Philidou holds the Canada Excellence Chair, Research Chair in Migration and Integration at Toronto Metropolitan University. Good morning and thank you for joining us. Good morning. These sound like, um, you know, very high numbers. And in fact, in the last three or four years, they have been much higher than, say, in the last hundred years or so. Why is there a big push now to increase the number of immigrants to this country? Okay, first of all, I want to say that the numbers are higher, but they're not that much higher. I think we all play a little bit this number game. So highest number since 2000 year, this year higher than last year. But still these increases and even the target of 450,000 residents by 2024 are slight increases. Second thing I want to say is this this number doesn't refer, you said newcomers, it doesn't necessarily refer to newcomers, to new physical entries to the country. It refers to new permanent residents and new permanent residents may have already been in the country. So I think we, we need to, to, to um, consider that. Um, I think the shortages in housing and in other services are broader and relate also to temporary residents. Um, in the same announcement, IRCC, Immigration Refugee Citizenship Canada, um, actually said they processed between January and November 670,000 study permits. These are new, these are real new entries in the country, physical entries. And we know we've been having a significant number of temporary workers coming in the country. So what I want to say is, the total picture of immigration is much broader than the new permanent residents. The second thing, however, that I want to say is that while um, we know that obviously more people means more, you know, 
causing more demand for different services, including health. We know also that migrants are, are, are uh, young, so they're not directly, um, um, they don't have an impact directly in health services. And actually, we also know that more than one third of migrants are physicians. So actually, what worries me is more that we make sure that these physicians or these engineers find their way to skilled jobs, to jobs commensurate to their qualifications rather than the number as such. Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, the part about physicians, because according to Stats Canada, uh, immigrants currently account for about 36 of all, 36% of all physicians, 33% of business owners with paid staff, and 41% of engineers in Canada. I think those are important numbers for people to keep in mind. Precisely, yeah, that, that's very right, what you say. And in that sense, I, I feel immigration is both part of the challenge and part of the solution. This is not, of course, to, to how can I say, underestimate um, the pressures uh, that people are feeling, including people who are settled in the countries, for instance, from a really tight housing market and exorbitant, um, uh, you know, rent, uh, rental costs. Um, I, I just don't want to minimize that, but I want to say the picture is broader and more complex. Um, I think the economy is, is not a game of, you know, musical chairs. There's not, chairs. There's not a set number of jobs. And Canada has been growing its economy through immigration. But I think right now we, we are on target. The IRCC is on target and has been improving significantly the processing. I think a lot more needs to be done because when we read the announcements of the governments and then when we think about the qualitative research that we um, people at my uh, university and in other universities are doing, you know, the, the picture is not always matching. Um, but uh, but, but I think the RCC is, it has really improved and beefed up its services and it's, it's due to do even more in the new year. At the same time, I think immigration is a much more complex issue and, you know, making sure that uh, newcomers, whether they were here under a temporary status and now have become permanent or whether they entered as permanent residents, that they are thriving. Th this is the real, I think, challenge and it's much less tied to numbers. Are the targets that are set by the federal government, are they done so with an eye towards what the country can sustain and integrate? I believe they are. As this, as I said, it's we're, we're talking about a few percentage point, point increases. And actually, I think the idea of making people permanent residents is an important one because that has been the model of Canada. And I think it's a model that is working. That, um, you know, the, there, there had been this expression with regard to labor immigration in Western Europe. And um, I can't remember who had said we invited workers and people came. And when I speak to people, I say Canada does not invite workers. Canada invites people and welcomes people, which means it has um, a holistic approach to, to the well-being of families. Having said that, it's not always a rosy uh, story. It's not always a rosy picture. There are a lot of challenges. So you spoke about physicians and engineers and business owners. Uh, yes, what we need to do more is make sure, for instance, people who have qualifications for the health sector work in that sector and they're not the skilled and, and underemployed. But same for engineers. We, I think 
Um, the other thing that is very important and has been announced is that as of spring 2023, there will be a, a new feature in the express entry system. So the system through which people come in as permanent residents and the minister will be able to identify special skills that are in shortage in the labor market because so far the system has been uh, targeting the, mo the most skilled, the most highly skilled people. So the more skilled you were, the more getting um while now there will be a feature to select those skills where we face shortages and we know that we're facing shortages in a lot of the trades um in 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 the health and care sector in jobs that are not necessarily for physicians in construction in in other in other sectors like um as i said basic trades plumbing and similar um so we need we need that feature and i think that is a very important development uh for the new year also um w which to some extent responds to the worries of civil society organizations who actually have expressed concerns about the expansion of the work permit uh streams that happened last spring again in response to shortages in the in the tourism sector that has um, as we know, boomed after the, you know, in the post-pandemic recovery. So, so I think that is a new and important feature, and we have to to monitor how this is going to happen. Well, I another think... oh, I'm area sorry. that is a little bit of concern is that of international students, um, because, and I, I believe the government knows that the international student stream is also a labor migration stream. And it's not even a two-step, what we call a two-step migration. So we enter, you enter Canada on a temporary status and then become permanent resident. It's a, even a three-step process where you enter as a student, then you get a post-graduation work permit, and then you get permanent residency. And for many, I mean, including many members of my research team who are people with PhDs, often PhDs in Canada, this, the process has taken like 10 years. So that's a concern for me. Um, the country, as you were mentioning, um, you know, we have concerns about the labor force. We have concerns about, you know, the boomers now heading into retirement, leaving uh, an employment gap, as it were. Um, one of the stats I read was that 50 years ago, the worker to retiree ratio was seven to one. That's expected to shift to two to one by 2035. So that also has to be a factor in all of this. Definitely. However, I want to say that we shouldn't take as a reference number exactly this 50 years ago uh, ratio because that was particularly, yeah, the so-called bo boomer generation um, ratio. And I laugh because my, my kids called me a boomer, although I'm not in that generation. And I but hope they're it, grounded for fun, that. <laughs> it's a fun term. Um, but that that was actually an extremely high worker to retiree ratio, and we're not we don't need to aim to that. And that has been uh, a little bit, you know a reconsideration also um, in all the countries and you know by the UN that we shouldn't use this as a reference number. But let's say a number of three to one would be a desire two point eight to one would be a desirable ratio. And as you said, we're rather going towards the two to one. Um, of course, in that, and family policy is not my field, but I want to say that beyond bringing in uh, new immigrants in order to address the demographic growth issue, we need also to think about family supports for everyone. 
both, uh, you know, locals and newcomers. Because um, demographers, I mean, we also know demographers would tell us that if if we were to, um, how can I say, reverse the demographic decline, immigration w- would have to be even much higher than it is now. And, and that, I think, would really pose an issue of, you know, of uh, actually creating more problems than we're solving. Uh, and we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. We are out of time. But I wanted to thank you for your analysis this morning. No, thank you, too. Thank you, too. Trianda Philidou? Is the uh, holds the Canada Excellence Research Chair in Migration and Integration at Toronto Metropolitan University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many of us are trying to just hunker down and get through 2023 after a lot of uncertainty last year with increasing inflation and increasing interest rates. And we're being warned that the water is not likely to be too terribly calm this year either, but there may be some opportunities. Joining us now is Mark Yamada, who's president and CEO of Pure Investing. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning. Greetings, Shona. How are you? Fine, thank you. You know, there's uh, an old saying I've heard a few times, if there's blood on the streets, buy real estate. I I don't think we're quite there yet. And maybe Ah, real estate ah. is not what you want to be investing in. But you have to wonder, there might be some opportunities out there. Well, let's let's start with real estate. Uh, real estate has been uh, the go-to asset for most Canadians, uh, not necessarily because they choose to, but because everybody has to live somewhere. Uh, and very rarely has real estate been hammered. Uh, it has certainly happened in the past, in the 50s and 1990. Um, and they were ex- some of them were extended periods of decline. But I think for uh, the average Canadian, the home is still a very good place to invest. Uh, it's been unsettling if your mortgage, uh, if you're part of a high ratio mortgage, uh, and or if your mortgage happens to be rolling over. Uh, and that's one part of the conversation. What does one do uh, with mortgages that are rolling? Because many people were in variable rate mortgages and, and they don't know what to do. Uh, it's it's like a, a, a cow in the headlights. Uh, you see rates rising, and you don't know whether you should lock something in quickly or or go to something variable. Uh, but I think real estate is still a long term uh, good place for Canadians to to park their money uh, if they're invested in real estate and uh, they do not have mortgages rolling. It's still a, a pretty good investment. You might. Might have to be a little bit more patient than you'd like to be because uh, the cycle is not necessarily going to be as short as uh, the optimists are predicting. And uh, I think that's really what we're here to speculate about uh, this morning. Yeah. Um, How many, where are some of the other opportunities? If people, you know, if they have some cash and they want to, you know, make a little more that way, where might they be looking? What what might they consider? Uh, Well, it's it's what in the in the professional investment space, it's time for helmets and protective cups. Um, it, it you really don't want to stick your neck out too far unless you really have uh, your short term uh, financial circumstances well in hand, and that means having six months to a year's worth of your expenditure requirements in cash or near cash. 
so that you don't have to be overly anxious about what happens to any investments that you have. Now, that being said, it, it's clear that some parts of the market have been crushed and there are some values that are going to start to uh, appear attractive to some people. Uh, and technology is clearly the first place to look. Uh, however, uh, while the long-term view, and I have held this view for a very long time, uh, the one thing that is going to help uh, society move forward is technological advances, whether it's in the transportation, communications, uh, with an aging population, in healthcare, uh, technology is definitely going to be a place uh, uh, to be for everybody, and, and there is a place for technology in every portfolio, regardless of, of your age. Uh, but the timing is very important, and technology is very volatile. It's been cut by one-third of its value just in the last year, and that has been very, very painful uh, for many people. Uh, it may be a time to start to nibble, but I, would, I wouldn't do it yet because I think, unfortunately, uh, there's a little bit more pain in this market than people uh, would, would like to believe. And that's really because we're staring at interest rates. Uh, interest rates are the key to everything here. Uh, and the Federal Reserve Board in the United States is uh, the big daddy of the central banks. The Bank of Canada is the equivalent here, but we're really watching to see what the Fed does. And just yesterday, uh, the Fed threw cold water on the bull's heads. Uh, everybody was expecting the Fed to lighten up either in the first quarter or certainly the first half of next year. And yesterday in the December notes to the Federal Reserve Board, uh, they said they're not going to recommend lowering interest rates for all of 2023. Uh, and uh, you know, short-term market moves don't really mean anything, but the market is not taking this well. And this tells you that the market is uh, was not discounting this kind of bad news. Uh, the market has been particularly optimistic, looking for a very short-term ro rollover of inflation very quickly. And then we'll be back in business sometime next year. Well, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. And when I come back to the technology area that should be an important part of a, a future part of everybody's portfolio, uh, you can nibble if you have a long-term view. Uh, but I think uh, keeping one's powder dry and helmet on your head uh, is still a, a, a proper route to take. Well, that's uh, very important news for us to hear at this point, especially if uh, the waters are going to be pretty choppy for the rest of this year, as you suggest. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Okay, take care. Mark Yamada is president and CEO of Pure Investing Incorporated. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you know anyone who's traveled by air recently, you may have had a long conversation about the hellacious trip they had. They also may still be waiting for their luggage. New Democrat leader Jagmeet Singh says the Liberal government needs to find ways to make the airline industry more competitive. We need to make sure that people have access to, to being able to get around the country 
and that it is affordable. And right now, for many people, it is not at all. And it's something that we need to look at and find solutions for. And he's also asking Transportation Minister Omar Al-Gabra, as well as the heads of Sunwing and Air Canada, to answer some questions at a future Transport Committee meeting. Here to help us understand all of this is John Graddock. He is a former Air Canada executive and the coordinator of the Integrated Aviation Management Program at McGill University. Good morning, John. Good morning, Shayona. Have you uh, flown recently? Yep, I did. And... uh... My, my experience was okay. I was not a, a one of the disgruntled passengers. My flight was on time both directions and uh, a happy camper. <laughs> now, did you only take carry-on? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. Cease. <laughs> I fought, I, let me tell you, and if I had checked baggage, I put air tags in there just to make sure. Absolutely. That seems to be the uh, the new uh, addition that people <clears throat> need to have, the, the new accessory. Uh, yeah. So apparently the solution is pretty simple. We just need more competition. Well, I think that's a very simplistic answer to the, the dilemma that we have today in in a, in, a, in a chaos we have in Canadian com- in Canadian aviation. Um, competition is not going to solve the problem. Um, you know, the, the problems are more fundamental than just opening up the air, the skies to competition. Um, you know, there, the, you know, if he, if Mr. Singh can control the weather, I'd ask him to control the weather and keep the snowstorms away from Christmas weeks. Because um, that was a con- major contributing factor to the chaos we've had over the last couple of weeks. Um, competition is not going to solve that problem. Um, and yeah, he's right in one in one sense is that yeah, airfares are high, but it, it happens to be Christmas week, and airfares are very high because this is the week where everybody wants to travel, and we work in a, an environment where we have you know you know fr- freedom to compete, and airlines can price the product based on what they think the marketplace will, in fact, pay for airfares. And guess what? Passengers want to travel. You've been away from, from your family and friends you know, over the Christmas holidays now for two years, um, and passengers are very willing to pay and book seats and pay high prices to get to where they want to be. And you know, those are the vagaries of our system. Um, the, the question you have to ask yourself is that, you know, were the airlines and the airports prepared for something we call winter? And it doesn't seem that we were that prepared. I think that, you know, the fiasco we saw at Vancouver Airport where passengers were waiting 10 or 12 hours on an airplane overnight to basically wait to get parked and get deplaned on a, uh, from an aircraft, that was totally unacceptable planning and execution of airport operations. So that tells me that there was a lack of planning and a lack of support in Vancouver Airport. And then what happened with Sunwing uh, you know, and they, they, they basically had an operation that, from my perspective, um, they had a, an application for 74 foreign workers, pilots, to fly in their operation in the winter. Uh, and that application was denied with the support of the uh, NDP. And, um, you know, the repercussions of those 74 short pilots was that there was no flexibility built into the Sunwing schedule. So the least amount of disruption that was affecting Sunwing, the you know the odds were very very highly favorable that there would be some cancellations and delays, and sure enough, snow added to that, cold added to that, and Sunwing got some pretty bad news when it comes to flying. Well, and and with the um, suggestion of their you know the solution is more competition, uh, ownership is an issue, um, staffing as you've mentioned is an issue, cost of fuel another big issue, cost of planes huge issue. <clears throat> it's not well, just yeah. that simple to say hey. Let's have another airline. We've had an, we have enough. We have you know in, in my, pers- my 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 opinion, 
we got enough airlines. I think that we've got seven carriers, count them, seven carriers operating between Toronto and Calgary or Toronto and Vancouver. And, we, and three years ago, we only had three. Yeah, so we've had four carriers now decide that it's now time in the middle of a pandemic, it's not over yet, that it's now time to fly. So, you know, the system works that, you know, if passengers, you know, can expect more carriers, um, you know, opening up the ownership to more foreign dollars and more foreign ownership is not going to be a problem. It's not going to be a solution. And you're not going to allow U.S. carriers to fly domestically in Canada. You know, they'll only fly Toronto, Vancouver and Toronto, Calgary. They're not going to fly to Saskatoon or North Bay or Timmins. Uh, So it really is, you know, we've got to have a homegrown solution. I think the ownership structures that we have in our regulations are fine and that we need to basically make sure that, you know, the airports and the airlines have got the money that they need to basically make this thing work. You know, airfares are low, literally. If you look at what's going on to fly from, you know, uh, Toronto to Vancouver in January, the end of January, round trip for under 200 bucks. You know, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. And I think that that, that you know, the, we haven't seen those fares as low as that in years. So competition in Canada is sufficient to keep airfares down. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's the, the measure by which we can say, is, is competition well established in Canada? My answer is yes. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. And if you're <laughs> traveling anytime soon, happy flying. Happy flying. Okay. John Take Greta. care. You too. John Graddick is a former Air Canada executive and coordinator of the Integrated Aviation Management Program at McGill University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.